0: get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up With The Kardashians and The
1: Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot.
0: Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash /filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are Devendra
1: Harwar and Jeff Canada.
0: And welcome to the show everyone. Uh Divindra, you sound a little bit different today. You're uh, broadcasting from a different location, I think, right?
2: Yeah, I'm broadcasting from the dining room of a nice little house in Savannah. So, this is a pretty fun temporary recording studio.
0: Oh, cool. So you're on you're on vacation this week nice huh? in Savannah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, very cool. And uh, people in the chat room are already noticing that it is 1230 a.m. as you're recording right now. So, uh, thanks for sticking with us tonight, Devendra, to record some Slash Filmcast. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Valerian. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. Valerian is the thing we've been watching this week. Uh, some other what we've been watching, a couple of brief film news items. Uh, and then we're gonna conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Christopher Nolan's newest film, Dunkirk. Uh, before we actually get to the review, I'm curious, what format did you guys watch it in? Uh, I saw an IMAX- IMAX, baby. IMAX, uh, 70, no, uh, laser projection. IMAX laser, ah. uh, projection. So it was not- So the
2: step-down
0: IMAX, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, no, 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 it wasn't,
2: um, it was like well, it wasn't the, seventy millimeter, but it's still like the big IMAX. I it's guess. still the yeah. big
0: IMAX. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
2: Right. But uh, yeah, seventy millimeter IMAX is like the apex of every like how to see this movie, and that's how I saw it. Luckily enough. Too. Yeah, me too.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so that's it, the way to see this movie. To be honest, it, with it was it.
0: true. True IMAX, right? Like not the uh, like yeah. the square size yeah. screen. Uh, right. Uh, yes. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the, the my, technically it was IMAX with laser is what I saw it with. That's what it's called on the site. So, uh, well, looking forward to hearing your reflections on that. But before we get to any of the show, uh, wanted to shout out a couple quick things. Firstly, uh, you guys may recall last week on the show I talked about how a tweet I made uh, about a f- slash film court case, uh, the case of the Spaghetti Club, went viral uh on BuzzFeed. It was on Twitter trending. I have gotten reached out to by friends I have not heard from in years, uh, because that tweet went even more viral this week. It expanded to like <laughs> delish.com, food52, and it was at the top of Apple news trending stories. It was, uh, uh, above, you know, a story about how Donald Trump is replacing all of Obama's, like, like, Undoing a lot of Obama's legacy. So glad to hear people are more concerned about Spaghetti Club than what's going on in our politics right now.
1: And again, we can't reiterate this enough. Do not (laughs) hashtag us with Spaghetti Club pictures of you taking spaghetti into a movie theater. We do not want to see it. We do not want it to trend. We do not want it to catch on. Do not take spaghetti in a plastic bag into a movie theater and then take pictures of yourself and hashtag those Spaghetti Club. That would be the wrong thing to do.
0: Uh, all right. It, again, it still sounds like you're being sarcastic there, but you know, I, I'll take you at your I, word,
1: Jeff. I don't know how to be more clear about this, David. I, I, I'm being as clear as I can be.
0: Fox News wrote up the tweet, uh, and the headline was, Woman's uh, movie theater snack hack goes viral. Snack hack. Snack hack. hack. I, just, I thought snack hack. I, I was like, I should have come up with snack hack. You know? <laughs> yeah. We should have come up with snack hack. We should have. Yeah, uh, and it's to our shame that we did not.
1: So uh, that's why BuzzFeed is, is BuzzFeed, you know, Well,
0: that was Fox News. I came up with that. Oh, never
1: mind. Uh, that.
0: New York Post. They're good at the propaganda words, too. So you know. New York <laughs> okay. Post did a piece on it, uh, it, it entitled Monstrous Movie Goer Sneaks Bagged <laughs> Spaghetti into Theater, uh, which I thought, oh, man, eh, that's a little unfair. A little
1: no unfair. one is ever going to email us again because we have completely ruined <laughs> their trust we have we have violated their trust well
0: to be fair i did reach out to uh logan from chicago and i said hey i hope uh everything's okay because i mean to see his your girlfriend photos, has gone viral yeah basically. his girlfriend's gone viral it's crazy and uh I, I did it's reach a out to you. you
1: never want to hear. I, <laughs> you never want to hear your girlfriend. There is no viral.
0: context under which that is good. Uh, <laughs> right. But Logan uh, and his girlfriend seem to be, to have very good humor about it. You know, a big part of it is that I did not identify them in the post. Um, you know, uh, I did not ask permission to identify them and I did not identify them. And so I think it's probably like an inside joke that they now have uh, amongst their friends. But in any case, I, I will never make another tweet that is that viral again. And uh, just wanted to acknowledge that that is what happened with that uh, that tweet. And the Slash Film Court lives on, guys. Lives on. <laughs> uh, another thing I wanted to mention is there was some intense discussion on last week's podcast about Andy Serkis and whether or not uh, he should get an Oscar for his work. And a lot of people are, are rallying for Serkis to win an Oscar. Uh, I pointed out on the show that, hey, it's, it's complicated, you know, that, there is so much work that the animators do, and should should Andy circus really uh receive credit for that? I tweeted about this. I got a bunch of blowback from uh people who also think Andy Circus should get an Oscar, and they were saying, well, um, do you think that uh you know Leonardo DiCaprio shouldn't get an Oscar because he has makeup on you know like that was the analogy <laughs> a lot of people were using uh but right because
1: Leo's known
0: for his excessive makeup habits. His <laughs> excessive makeup. I guess if it was Johnny Depp, it might be a different story. But, uh, there you go. so we did get an email from someone who, uh, works at Weta. Um, and this person wrote in, uh, that hundreds of people across several departments work on any given shot to make the transition of Andy's performance to Ape look photo-real and work as effectively as it does. I honestly think there needs to be a new awards category for digital character where both the actors and lead visual effect artists receive recognition. Just had to message this since I spent the last X months of my life working on this movie, and it can be a little frustrating hearing people say, oh, well, they just do a little bit at the end, and it's done. Yeah. End quote. So uh yeah there, there were a lot of visual effects artists who who wrote in and said hey yeah like we do do a bunch of work but uh when i tweeted about this you, you know uh, matt goldberg from collider responded with something that i didn't think about which is that weta has actually won oscars for their work on the apes films and andy circus right. has not you know so on, on mm-hmm. the one hand it's like okay yeah don't underestimate the work that the visual effects artists do on the other hand hey uh, they actually have been recognized for that work, right? And, yeah,
2: um, and I, I don't and think I, our conversation was saying you had to choose one over the other. Right, uh, right. What I'm saying is, let's recognize both because I think Circus has done an amazing job, and as well as Weta. Yeah,
1: and I don't think I also don't think our conversation said that people just come in and do a little bit at the end. I, I think <laughs> right. we actually said quite the opposite—that it's a a big, prolonged, uh, really interesting process that utilizes a, a lot of uh, artistry on both sides. So
0: agree i, I agree yeah. with you guys and if if we convey differently, apologies, but yeah, I think uh both circus and all the amazing talented what artists deserve uh all the praise that that has come in their way um but I did th- think it's interesting that they're that like circus uh makes statements that inflame the community when he does this, like like that right, uh, right. That when he he goes out on on the press tour and he says, oh yeah they're really just imitating exactly what I'm doing, you know. And that a lot of visual artists find that a little galling, like it underplays what they're uh, what they're doing. Um, but yeah, just just know that for both circus and the artists, they both put in a crap ton of work, and it shows. So we'll leave it at that, and let's move on to what we've been watching. All of us had a chance to see Luc Besson's newest film, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, and. Guys, uh I I predicted at the beginning of the summer that Valerian would be a financial catastrophe. Turns out that Luc Besson already sold uh Valerian to like all these foreign uh, markets. And so uh-huh. He's a genius guy. Gen- he he went way. around he's it's like, true. Hey, "Hey, like give me 10 million million to make this movie and uh and, and was able to get a finance and was able to sell it to all these different markets for millions of dollars." So no one's going to go out of business because of this movie, that being said valerian city of a thousand planets made as much money in its opening weekend as the fifth element made in its opening weekend and that movie opened 20 years ago um so <laughs> it unfortunately Man. did not do very well
1: uh Devinder, I, you... I would i would venture to say though that people are going to be talking about valerian in the same way that people talk about the fifth element 20 years from now
2: I I, I I would venture to say it's more like how people talk about avatar today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I have to say, I think if I had seen, you know, I saw uh, Fifth Element uh, when I wasn't that old. I was in my teens, right? Right. I think if yeah. I saw Valerian when I was in middle school, I would think this is the best movie of the year. think from I, the mind a, of a high school kid. It yeah. sounds like a put-down, but it's like, the, the movie's pleasures are fairly simple. Uh, it is one of the most visually spectacular movies I've seen this year. Uh, I also think the two leads in the film are like they're they're awful. Like Dane DeHaan feels hopelessly miscast in this movie.
1: It's ridiculous. They're both they're both miscast, completely miscast. They're children, and we're supposed to believe that they are these seasoned adventurers. Right.
0: I mean, I think Cara Delevingne does a like, is more convincing than Dane DeHaan in this movie. And she has a lot more fun in the role. I think she's convincing
2: and more interesting too. Right. Yeah. But,
0: but uh, Dane DeHaan, I mean, I, I don't think he's untalented. Uh, but it just it just does not feel like a good match for for him. Well, the, the, no, the thing is, point. like, it's aesthetically. And
2: I think this moves to the movie's strength, right? It's uh, the entire movie is amazing to look at. But once Dane DeHaan starts speaking this dialogue and the script is terrible, and I don't know how he was like instructed to act in certain scenes, but a lot of it just doesn't work. So he looks great on the poster. He looks great like in the trailers because he's a handsome dude. Like you see him in a in a big like space epic except what they're trying to do just doesn't work for him
1: i think that he was perfectly cast in a cure for wellness because yeah, there's a that, character yeah. that's supposed to be yeah. half drugged through the entire movie and and slowly <laughs> wasting away and that's what he conveys he does not does not convey a stalwart adventurer you know that he, yeah. he looks like he's about to pass out <laughs> throughout <laughs> this entire movie right. I, th- I, th- I, think I think it's kind one the like indiana
0: jones-esque Person who Han Solo, type. Han Solo yeah. right? Yeah. Like a guy who's like seen it all. He's a roguish,
1: right? And it yeah. he, he just—it's <laughs> been—he's been with a, a thousand women on a thousand planets, <laughs> and he's got this. This database of conquests, and it's like, really? This this baby boy who looks like he's about to fall asleep at any given time? It's, it's a shame because
2: Dane DeHaan is, is, he's not a baby boy. He has a young face, but he's hes,
0: he's, he's in his 30s now. I think this is a thing that just kind of haunts oh, him I, unfortunately. I, I disagree completely. Yeah. I think he looks like he's 10 years older than he is. Uh, or at least like he's been through 10 years of, as much life, right? I mean, he's got the bags That's under his... That's not what his... was conveyed earlier. Okay, I see. He's got yeah. the bags under his eyes. He just looks tired all the time. Time, like Jeff says. You he know? just looks tired. He's yeah. tired
1: and direction. sliding and, and you know, he's just not... I, I can't believe he got, he got this part. I really can't.
2: <laughs> well, hey, they've been working on this for a while too, so I don't know what Luke Besson saw. I, mean, I love Dane DeHaan. I love so many things he's been in. Uh, for this role, it feels like the one direction he got was do 90s Keanu's Reeve. Right. Like 90s <laughs> Keanu Reeve and give us that. Give us the like, whoa, the bro, surfer attitude and everything. And
0: it doesn't work at all here. That being said, okay, uh, I, I think anytime the leads are talking, they have, they have no chemistry with each other. So <laughs> Zero Anytime chemistry. they're, anytime they're talking, it just, the movie does not work. But, uh, the, the film's opening 10 minutes, you know, this is something that's going around a lot this summer, mm-hmm. is the, the movie's opening 10, 15 minutes are amazing, in my opinion. I, mean, I think the nowhere, entire movie is amazing.
1: The yeah. whole movie is amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing movie,
0: despite the fact yeah. that the leads like just don't work. You think it's
1: the, it's the leads are, are atrocious, are a, <laughs> a, a, and horribly miscast. I think I'm not trashing them as as actors. I think they're fine actors. They're just totally wrong here for what mm-hmm. the movie is trying to express. But I found the movie to be absolutely dazzling on every level and, and throughout. I mean the the complexity of ideas expressed. And the fact that you always understand what's going on, even though they're incredibly complex sci-fi it's v- concepts, visually
0: dense, right? It's yeah, it, it reminds dense. me
1: of—it's like Rick and Morty. This right? movie, yeah.
0: It, I, I mean, there, there's a scene in this movie that takes place at a at a marketplace, right? That, mm-hmm. uh, but the market is in another dimension. Uh, mm-hmm. That it, it, that would, could be the
1: premise of a whole other film, and, and, and no it's basically... one. At no point does a person sit down and just explain it to you. There's no, there's yeah, no, right? yeah. there's no, um, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Exposition. Um, exposition of it. it is just expressed visually and you get it. And it is an mm-hmm. extremely complicated idea. And the fact that he's like phasing between dimensions and what's here and what's there and all these people that are happening, it's like. A master filmmaker is required to pull that off. And yeah. I was so impressed. That agreed.
2: really speaks to Luc Besson's strengths, right? He is always a great visual stylist. I think he's he's a great pulpy filmmaker. Uh, not the best writer. That script is terrible. Everything about this script is terrible. So, like, my... I, I really love the visuals of this movie. I love half of the movie. And I really dislike the other half. And there's a lot of problematic stuff, too. But back to that night market scene. Like, I do... that That scene does really exemplify why I love Luc Besson, right? It's such a, it is the avatar concept of like diving into another body or another plane of existence too, but also interacting with it on multiple levels. Uh, I actually interviewed him um, over at Engadget and he told me the way he even prepped that scene. He had to get all the kids involved in his, uh, all the students involved in his directing school in Paris. So I think it's, it's uh, a couple hundred people, they had to go. He brought them out to uh, to the actual set, and they just shot the scene like their style, like with handheld cameras and stuff, and like just block out the entire scene. And he had to show his crew and the VFX crew that just for them to even understand how to, you know, approach doing. Right, like, the how scene. do you even they,
0: explain what yeah. is going? You know, because it's not all going to be. In camera, right? You, yep. you're gonna because there, there
2: are three. There are like three different views, too, right? There's the human view, which is like just people going around in like VR visors, and then there's the view inside the the world, and then the there's Dane DeHaan's character who's interacting with that virtual world from within the real world. Like it is, it's astounding. Yeah, like, and that's really so, so much of this movie is astounding. And then people start talking, <laughs> and you're like, man, how how could you do this one thing so right and you could do this other thing so wrong? Uh, Cause there's a, uh, there's just so much that's regressive about this movie too. Like there's a lot of like uh female driver jokes. There's a lot of like uh Valerian touting his sexual conquest and using it to try to impress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Lorelai. character makes like,
0: feel like they're out of, you know, the eighties basically, you know, it uh, doesn't work.
2: Everything yeah. about Rihanna's character. I love Rihanna and I love the idea of that character. Her entire introduction is a five minute like weird, like uh, it's like a run through a lot of sexist imagery, basically like a lot of like, yeah, funny stuff. It's not great.
0: Yeah. uh, So uh, as I was saying, you know, this is a movie where this one scene that could be the whole premise of of another movie. Like you could uh, you could build an entire movie around that set piece and right. this movie moves past it in like 10 minutes, you know? And then and, on, and on to another thing that's like absolutely nuts.
1: Yeah, um, I was just going to say, and that's not that's not the beginning and ending of the crazy batshit ideas in this thing that are all pulled off with such panache. I mean, it, there are sequence after sequence after sequence of stuff I've never seen before, and that is so visually complex and conceptually complex over and over and over again. I mean, there there are scenes like... You know, this, they say this movie cost an inordinate amount of money right? $200 million, whatever. It's all on the screen. Yes. You know, there's <laughs> stuff that happens for a split second that I'm like, oh my God, they had to build all of that in the computer. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a, there's a scene where he goes bashing through like these different right. layers of this, of this planet Beautiful. that's. It's insane! It's they, insane. They, they, they didn't
0: have to make it that detailed. Like they could have made no! it half as detailed, and it would have right. still gotten the, the But they did. He's a, he's a very generous filmmaker. Luke Besson is right. Mm-hmm. Guys, there's
2: so many VFX shots in this movie. He had to employ both ILM and Weta. Right. Like one of them just couldn't do all the work. Right. Which it, is it, kind it, of astounding. It, it, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I I think you know the movie's over two hours long. I had to go to the bathroom during the middle of the movie and I was terrified of going to the bathroom because I felt <laughs> if I stepped out I was going to miss some crazy ass shit that yeah. I'd never seen before and would never see You're again not going to lose the plot. The uh right exactly but it's just it, every frame in this movie is packed with so much detail uh, it's, it's just incredible. To see, also there is a, there is a spectacular opening sequence, uh, mm-hmm. with the, on the planet, uh, Mule, right? I think is the planet. Oh, the name it's po- gorgeous. It's word, it's like wordless. It's one of the best things I've seen in a movie, uh, theater this year. And like you said, then people start talking, but like, then people start talking. This is wordless well, sequence. even before that too, there is the opening, opening, opening,
2: opening sequence. that shows oh, how
1: yeah, the city which, of a
0: thousand planets was which created. I, love.
2: Right? I didn't even, I didn't even get that that was what they were doing
1: you know yeah, yeah. and that, that that takes us from now until the future and sees it, it that is, that is so Luc Besson, like that sequence and the and the how crazy like the design of each of the aliens that we see in that opening sequence alone could be their own movie like it's such a brilliant sequence of oh my god i've never seen an alien look like that before oh that that was only here for four seconds and now <laughs> yeah. there's another one so,
0: someone spent 50 hours of their life so that you could see that alien for four seconds basically <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, it's insane and... and that that is what i love about this movie is the pure excess the pure swinging for the fencesness of it and i i think if people love the fifth element like i do and love speed racer like i do like those are the two touchstone movies that for me like if you love those movies a lot of people hate those movies a lot of people do if you love those movies, you're likely to love Valerian right. like I did. But if, I, I, if yeah. you hate them, you're gonna. I mean, people are not gonna just sort of dislike this movie; they're going to hate it. You know,
2: I think for a lot of good reasons. That's the thing. Like, I can understand your enthusiasm for it, Jeff, and I love the visuals of it and everything Luke Besson does. This guy is like a personal hero of mine. Leon is one of my favorite films ever, um, and I love The Fifth Element. But I feel like if you love The Fifth Element, there's so many things that are present in that movie that's nowhere here, like the sense of heart and the actual characters and the character
0: growth and you just you just have bruce willis against dane DeHaan. one of them is way more charismatic and believable than the other you know exactly there's that like a better like just a better cast
1: job in general you need a guy that can sell the bad dialogue that's really the problem i mean yeah maybe
2: maybe let's just not have the bad dialogue like fifth element isn't it's it's a little cheesy and cornball like the way everything is written out but it's not it's It's not a movie where every word people say sounds like garbage. You know, Clive Owen is in this movie, too. And I I just felt really bad for him and everything he had to do in this movie. Um, I do think, though, that if you enjoy Bassan's visual style, you need to see this movie in a the theater, right? Because there's no, there's no point watching this movie at home. You're going to watch this on the TV. You're not really going to be enveloped by the visuals, as you will. And I think the, the glaring flaws will be more visible there. Also I
0: also a, a, a saw a strategic. Uh, yeah, this is one of those movies that 3D is actually worth it, I would argue. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. But it was a catastrophic decision uh, or a, a stre- strategic miscalculation to put this up against Dunkirk just because of the IMAX real estate. Like they they just don't have the real estate right now to, to show it in IMAX, to show it in like a really nice large format that it deserves to be seen in. And that's a bummer because most people won't be able to see this film in a, you know, a format that would do it justice. Um, uh, let me give you a little bit of insight into uh, how the process here of screening films works in Seattle uh, publicists send out screenings. They're open to the public. They're open to critics. We had a screening of Valerian of the City of a Thousand Planets and uh, two, two screenings. And after the first screening, I, I've been doing this for many years here in Seattle. I've never gotten an email like this. I got an email from the publicist, like mass email to everyone saying, it has come to our attention that certain people at the Valerian screening last week were being disruptive. Uh and you know, please note that like it's up to you to like, you know, help us have a good movie viewing environment and you're responsible for any of your guests and blah 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 blah. And I was very puzzled because I had not seen the film at that point. And then I saw the film, and the dialogue at the end is so laughable that oh, people people in the uh, you know, in the audience, like I felt the audience start to turn against the movie. <laughs> and I felt like, oh, I, I understand what happened at that screening. Like people just laughing and being uh, obnoxious about how bad the dialogue. I mean, the dialogue is yeah. really bad. Uh, it's, it's hard not to laugh at it. So like, bad I wouldn't even call they that obnoxious. Had to send out a it notice is, saying like, "Don't laugh too hard at the dialogue.
2: It's basically. it's a normal human response to <laughs> terrible writing.
0: Like, I yeah, I, I don't blame people for laughing at that. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, this movie took me on some real highs and lows, guys. Right? The visuals, <laughs> the action. scenes... It's a journey. Scenes. Yeah. The visuals, yeah. the action scenes. Oh, so good. Uh, so so much density there. You could spend. Uh weeks just watching this movie over and over again, studying the the edges of the frame and seeing all this stuff that you didn't see the first time. Uh it just so much to, to, to latch onto here. Uh and then the human characters just don't work for me at all.
2: What is Ethan I, I think, Hawk honest, doing in this I, movie? What? What is who? Come on. Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk just uh. shows up. Even hockey's yeah. amazing in this movie. I love, I love, I love, I love
1: in this movie. Right? dude. dude uh, there's so many crazy ideas, like uh, taking your gun out and hanging it from the ceiling by strings, like yeah. that. That's awesome. I mean, there's so much in in every single idea, um, and I don't know how much of that's from the comic book because I never read the comic book, but uh, I loved all of it. I, and I think you guys are overstating the the dreadful dialogue point uh, because to say that there's some difference between this and the fifth element is ridiculous. The, the I fifth just element...
2: The fifth element, man, that movie
1: works. It still works. Oh, still, I, do, it still I works. don't disagree that it works. Yeah. I just, I'm yeah. saying that the, the, the dialogue is not any better. Than I, I, this I think movie. that's
0: probably true. I think that's probably true. And I, I think Jeff, you're right that, Bruce Willis is just a lot better at selling it than Dane DeHaan. Yes. I think that. Yeah. But
1: the actual. Bruce stuff, Willis like the, and Ian Holm. And you know, there's just a, a you caliber. You have like very of, well pedigreed actors. Yes.
2: a right? script isn't just dialogue guys, right? So I think the structure of the actual movie, the plot and everything, like what people are doing, character motivations, the, half the time, I'm very confused about why and when is doing anything in this movie. So that's, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the main thing. Those characters work. There,
0: there's also yeah. a moment at the end where, uh, well, I, I, I won't give away the ending, but I will say that, like, the movie doesn't do a very good job of hiding who the villain is. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, you know? Um, yeah. And, yeah. and it, it's almost insulting how bad it is at that. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with both of you. I agree with both of you. I think Bruce Willis does a better job of selling it. But yeah, there are also some really deep structural problems with the script and uh, that go beyond just the characters and the dialogue. So,
1: uh, this, this is, You know what? There are some deep structural problems with the script for the Rocky Horror Picture Show as well, and people still watch and love that movie, and that is how Valerian is going to be. It is going to be a cult film that people will be watching for 20, 30 years.
0: I think so, too. Oh, man. I, but that, I mean, that being said, I talked with uh, Matt Lynch, who's, who works at Scarecrow Video, the biggest independent video store in the country, and he said he would not watch this movie again on Blu-ray <laughs> because of how bad it was. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I, 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 it's not for everybody. I understand that. I understand that. So, all, all, all that, all those caveats being said, I think we all still recommend this movie, right? Like, just you should still well, check watch it, out. it if you're into this sort of thing.
2: Like, that's the thing. If you if you're not into big, crazy science fiction epics, this movie will not change your mind at all.
0: Yeah. All right. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. It's out in theaters right now. It needs your love, guys, because it's not doing very well. It made made seventeen million dollars opening weekend.
2: I guess we're not really helping, but also sort of helping because we are encouraging people to see it. We're just being upfront about the issues. Yeah,
0: it will not be in the top ten of the summer movie wager, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, But uh, by the Uh, way, to none of our
1: yeah, to none of our surprise, I think I think none of us none of us uh, suspected that at all.
0: I should say that. It's looking highly likely, like D'Vindra is going to win the Summer Movie Wager this year, um, which is, you know, yeah, obviously very crushing to me. But you'll see. It, it actually. All <laughs> I'm not h- doing any victory laps yet. It we'll all see, yeah. hinges on how Dunkirk does, to be honest. Like where uh-huh. Dunkirk ends up is going to determine the final standings. Um yep. So it's very, it's a very exciting time, guys, and you can follow that at the Summer <laughs> it's Movie Wager. A, what a
1: time come. to be alive! What right a guys? time
0: <laughs> to be alive. Jeff Kanata, you've been watching a few other things in addition to Valerian, right?
1: Yes, I want to just mention quickly that I finished Friends from College, the Netflix uh, half-hour comedy uh, that we talked about last week. I believe I had only seen half of it at that point. Uh, and Davinder, you were very hard on it. I, I was waiting for this this show to get bad, and it never did. It made me laugh through and through. I love it. the The last episode it has a, a an amazingly brilliant final moment that it is it, it, it just like this slow motion thing that you usually see in fast motion in, in shows. And I just, I really liked it. I, it made me laugh a lot and it fixed by the end. It, it sort of, uh, you know, it, it fixed a lot of the issues I had with sort of the, uh, the, um, infidelity angle being celebrated. And I feel like it, it was a little more even handed and, uh, I don't know. I really liked it. So, all Fr- right, friends uh, from college. That's
0: friends from college is on Netflix, and Jeff, you, you want to give a shout out to one other thing, right?
1: Yes, Ozark.
0: Guys, have you watched any of Ozark yet? I don't even know what Ozark is, Jeff. Tell me about it. That's the
2: that's the new Netflix jam, but yeah, oh. I have not seen yeah. yeah. original this is the show.
0: Jason Bateman one, right?
1: Yes, starring mm-hmm. Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. First uh, two episodes were directed by Jason Bateman. Uh, I have watched three episodes now. I am in love with this show. I don't know where it's gonna go. Um, Ozark is basically if you if if Breaking Bad had started in season four, huh? Like it is, we ramp up to where Walter White is in season four in episode (laughs) one of Ozark, and the way most shows like this, I mean, this is a very tried and true formula now with the sort of you know new golden age of television this very tried and true formula of sort of normal guy in over his head in extraordinary situation um but where most shows like this slow play a lot of the reveals over the course of a season first episode big huge reveal a second episode, huge reveal that most shows would just spring that was spread out over the course of the entire season. And this show is like, no, we got so many bullets in our chamber. Screw you, we're shooting them right now. Boom, boom, boom. Huge things happen every episode. The third episode not as strong as the first two, but the first one is unbelievable, and the second one tops the first one. So I can't wait to see where the show goes now because I am so in. Jason Bateman's amazing. His character is really cool. He's a he, you know, he's a Walter White, but where Walter White is like this emotional swirl of of you know conflicting ideas, Jason Bateman plays a character type that I've never really seen expressed in a show like this before. He's like he just compartmentalizes everything and deals with what's ahead in front of him and like doesn't like his wife has an issue. Laura plays his wife and, and there's big issues with her, but he like. He won't allow himself to go there. He's just working the problem, and he's very analytical about it. It's so interesting to see because he's super smart. And the show just, like, keeps blowing my mind with how quickly it's willing to just completely change the stakes and, and up up upturn stuff mm-hmm. it's set up. I'm really digging it.
2: I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing this, too. Like, the entire premise seems like, what if Breaking Bad but different? Like, what if the family was helping more directly, too, or something?
1: Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's Breaking Bad, but we, like, jump in four seasons in when, like, it, we are at the mm-hmm. height. It starts at the most heightened place that Breaking Bad got to and then goes up from there. It's like, oh, my God, how cool is this?
0: Awesome. That sounds sounds great. Um, that being said, you did just say Friends from College was good, so I don't know whether to believe you, Jeff. Did but you watch <laughs> no, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. I'm teasing. But uh, Ozark on Netflix, I've actually heard great things as well. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, speaking of Netflix, I think it was last week on the podcast, uh, I made a very impassioned plea that you check out Hassan Minhaj's new special, Homecoming. A lot of people tweeted at us saying they did check it out and they thought it was great. Uh, but after that, that massive, uh, you know, plea of, of checking it out, I realized shortly after we recorded the podcast that I did not get the name of the special correct. It is actually Hassan Minhaj's Homecoming King, um, not just Homecoming, so... I felt very embarrassed. Yeah, that's Spider-Man. Uh, what'd you say? Yeah, it's not the Spider-Man movie, right? Um, so, Homecoming King. Check that out on Netflix as well. All right, guys. Uh, we gotta move on. But before we do that, we gotta thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Uh, thanks to Brian Davids from Film Slubs, Philip Atkinson, who donated, who's also a subscriber to the podcast, Andrew Sanchez, who writes to us, an underrated movie is Congo, starring Laura Linney. Also, I love the slash filmcast. Uh, and Mahira... Jaya Sekera. Uh thank you all so much for your donations. Thanks to Richard Heaney for his subscription at the rate of two dollars per month. What do you guys think of Congo? Congo, good movie. Con- was that the big snake movie in the yeah, I movie? Anaconda? I think it's ah. a different one. Yeah. Uh, I basically don't one remember the Congo. Movie. Uh, here's oh, what, here's what's apes, cool about right? Congo. Yes. is I, I saw it when I was like f- fairly little. I think it really sold the idea. It, it, there was an ape that had the ability to sign, and he had right. like this rig hooked up to him. That he could sign, and then he would speak it in would a human talk. voice. Yes, uh, and that that was just a really cool concept that was executed really well in that film.
1: Um, you know, so- they're um, mm-hmm. that that's real. They're making that now. There's a I was reading about some thing that will trans that will um, it, it's like text to speech, but it's sign language to speech. It can like read read sign language hands and then say it out loud. That's it's happening. It only took what 20 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I thought that was a really cool aspect of that movie. In any case, um if you want to support what we do here on the podcast uh, and help us defray the cost of seeing movies, putting on the show, uh, there's a PayPal link on the side of the page. No, actually, that's not even true. Let me do that again. Go to slashfilm.com uh, and click on the Slash Film tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, we'd really appreciate it Uh, again slashfilm.com go to the slashfilmcast tab use the PayPal links on the side of the page you can also go to uh, paypal.me slashfilmcast that's paypal.me slash the word filmcast Uh, thanks so much for our donors this week guys let's just dive straight into our review of Dunkirk where are we going? Dunkirk. I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this, sun. We have a job to do. That was from the trailer of Dunkirk, the new film by writer-director Christopher Nolan. And it made $50 million this weekend, beating a lot of expectations. Some people think it could be heading towards $200 million. Uh, and I, I, I think... You know, based on what I've seen, by all means, it could do that. Now, before we it get is to the feel-good hit of the summer, Dave. Before we get to today's review, uh, <laughs> I have to say, I I don't even know if we're gonna have a spoiler section for this because uh, yeah. we we are gonna give away what happens in reality. Like like, there's gonna be spoilers <laughs> for reality in this review. So we we will try to structure it so that we don't give away like what
1: happens in the movie too much. Um, but Did you, you know what reality was before you went to see this movie? I feel like this, outside of the UK, I'm sure very few people actually know this story. It's I'm not, true. I'm not arguing that we, you know, we shouldn't spoil it, but I'm just saying that I, I, I would assume that this is a... Uh, you know Most Americans probably weren't familiar with this before the movie.
0: Correct. I think that's probably <laughs> right. Um, well, I'll read the plot summary from IMDb. Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle... In World War II, that's the IMDb plot summary. Um, this movie stars uh, a, a bunch of people, including Fionn Whitehead and Mark Rylance. It also stars a uh, a fairly well-known act, uh, actor slash uh, artist named Harry Styles. You guys, guess familiar? with Harry oh, yeah. Styles work. Yeah, yeah. So I guess. Oh yeah. So, you know, Jeff, this sure. is a movie that you tweeted and shared. Not that you watch, but that you survive what did yeah. you mean by that
1: it is an oppressive experience uh that that beats you down it beats you down especially if you watch it in in imax like i did it 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 it, it feels crushing visually it feels crushing emotionally it feels crushing auditorially it, the 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 score for this movie is brutalizing uh the there is uh, Dunkirk to me is <laughs> – I've never watched a movie that felt so substantial and so slight at the same time. Hmm. This hmm. movie feels big and important and substantial, and it also is very, very thin. <laughs> it's, it is is a, a moment uh, that is stretched out over a course of a film. It feels like if – the very iconic opening sequence of saving private Ryan was the entire movie. Mm -hmm. That would be Dunkirk. Dunkirk is like what most war movies start with and then move on to this tale of, of soldiers that we get to know. And the Dunkirk doesn't care about you knowing soldiers or telling the story of people. (laughs) It doesn't care about people's stories. It cares about this moment and it, and it, it expresses that moment with, chilling detail and oppressive the the feeling of of trapping the viewer on this beach with those soldiers and crushing them crushing our hopes along with theirs and then at the very last moment giving us a bit of of respite from that but even that respite it does not feel particularly uh, um, beautiful or (laughs) yes it's 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 just it is an intense experience that uh you survive rather than rather than enjoy. And uh, I think it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. I, I admire it. I think it is the, the shots are extraordinary. The, the way it feels more like, a, a, you know, and very much in Nolan's um, sensibilities, it feels like a throwback to old Hollywood. It feels like uh, bridge over the river Kwai or something, you know, it feels like, Oh, we don't, we don't make movies where we use CG. We we get thousands of extras and actually – I know they didn't. I know they used a lot of painted extras, but it feels like that. It feels like those old Hollywood epics where like, oh, you want a big scene with thousands of people? Well, just costume thousands of people and do it. Um, and it, and it and there's a feeling of, of real tension throughout. I mean it, it almost never lets up on just tightening the screws and tightening the screws on you. The score doesn't let up. The movie doesn't let up. There are a lot of things that I, I I don't think this movie does great, but what it wants to do, which is put you in that situation and make you feel the weight of this moment. It does exquisitely and I can't help but admire it. I just don't think it's as complete a movie as I anticipated it being. there's some odd things, you know, like Tom Hardy. Why is Tom Hardy in this movie? He doesn't need to be in this movie. Um, but, you know, it's an impressive movie, an oppressive movie, and uh, one that I admire greatly. And I'm glad I saw on the biggest possible screen.
0: Uh, so just a point of fact, uh, the film used over 6,000 extras. And I I believe mm. all of them were British, which is actually extremely... Challenging to accomplish. Um, so yeah, there aren't even that many British people <laughs> in the world today, right? Uh, Devendra, hardware, hit me. What, what are your thoughts on this movie?
2: Yeah, I'm kind of echoing uh, a lot of what Jeff is thinking here. This movie is a great experience. It's a technical marvel to what Christopher Nolan managed to accomplish here. Um, I wrote a th- I wrote about the IMAX experience for it. Um, it's a shame that most people won't get the full IMAX experience, which is like the 70 millimeter, you know, full size thing. Uh, because even the even the laser IMAX you saw Dave isn't it's uh it's not as tall and not as sharp. Uh, this movie is one of the greatest cinematic experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Like this is completely immersive. Like he and that's the idea he was going for there. Um, very little like dialogue in this movie. Uh, in a way it feels like a silent film at times, except one with an amazing sound design that really just from the first bullet you were just being hit in the gut with like all the noise and the sound of war. Uh, It's impressive on so many levels. And I think um, where it fails for me is just building up characters. And that's not to say like there are characters in this movie. Like we follow three separate people and their stories all have emotional climaxes in their own ways. Um, I just don't know if I really care so much. And like, if you break down these three stories in their own ways, each of these uh, things could be their own movie in a way, right? This movie is told by land, by air, and by sea. And each of the stories there could be fleshed out more and give us an entirely different movie. Once put together like this, I'm not sure if it's as impressive. And I don't think the way he tries to tie everything together in the end is particularly interesting either, although I don't even know if that's what he's going for. It's just It just feels like a way to tie... Up these narrative knots. Um, right.
0: So let's talk a little so, bit more yeah. about that. A couple of things you're bringing up that are pretty interesting to talk about. Firstly, uh, the IMAX experience. Uh, I- I've seen in full IMAX most of the movie experiences that are meant to be seen that way uh, over mm-hmm. the last few years uh, that we did the podcast. I've been very blessed and fortunate to have done that. So I'm talking about Dark Knight. I'm talking about Dark Knight Rises. I'm talking about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol.
1: Some of... Batman versus Superman. <sighs>
0: Some of my favorite experiences <laughs> ever uh, that I've ever had in a movie theater were were uh, watching a movie and then seeing it expand into full IMAX and then being like, oh, my gosh, some crazy yep. stuff's about to go down because they just expanded the aspect ratio. Um, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Yeah. You know, anyway. Um, so uh, this movie is the first movie I've seen in IMAX that, the vast majority of the movie is shot in IMAX.
1: Yeah,
2: around seventy-five
0: percent of it. Yeah, seventy yeah. seventy-five percent of the movie. So it's actually it felt like
1: there's just one sequence. Of- yep. With Mark Rylance on the boat, and, it, and I, I wondered if they just had difficulty getting the cameras on that little boat.
0: <laughs> right, uh, right. Like, why didn't but, they just do it for the whole thing? But it felt kind yeah. of random, like which sequences. It because it, it didn't feel like yeah. the sequences that were not shot in IMAX were more difficult in any way. Yeah, uh, within
2: right. so, within the same scene, we change after atmosphere. Right, yeah, right, it's <laughs>
0: not as bad as a Michael Bay film, but it's still pretty. It, it was it was a little jarring. That being said, this is a movie where. When it's not in IMAX, that's when you're like, oh, something's weird now. It's usually the opposite. It's usually like (laughs) the vast majority of the movie, you know, 80% of the movie is in non-IMAX. And then it expands and you're like, oh, my gosh, crazy stuff's about to happen. But in this movie, it's atypical if it's not in IMAX. That being said, it it is the finest IMAX experience, I think, uh, you know, the most intense, uh, the most Mm -hmm. immersive IMAX experience I've ever had in a movie theater. Um, And so... For for that reason alone, you know, a lot of people have been asking, like, should I drive an hour and a half to go see the movie? Should I go, you know, do whatever? Uh, I can't tell you how to spend your money and your time. I I can just say that we've seen all these movies in IMAX, and this is the one that I think makes the best
1: use of the format. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Definitely.
0: And if you're near
2: an IMAX 70mm, you know, theater, it is practically criminal not to go see yeah, this movie like, because it is wasting, you've never seen on this before it, it's yeah, yeah and on it you it, if you
0: don't go see it in,
1: in. it's pretty amazing that that nolan you know his position is like movies shouldn't be watched on cell phones and and couldn't be watched on ipads and they shouldn't be streamed over netflix and and like to prove his point he makes a movie where that's yeah. true you know he doesn't know? need
2: like, words for his argument just this <laughs> yeah this because really this on your phone
1: the idea of someone watching this on a plane is just so insane to me. Like this, It's so inappropriate <laughs> to watch this movie in any other place than a big, bombastic movie theater.
0: That being said, three of Nolan's films are available on Netflix right now. just want to throw that out there. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, okay, Davindra, you also talked about uh, the structure of the movie. So we're, I'm going to give away the structure of the film. Uh, there's a lot of t- talk about whether the structure helps or hurts. Christopher Nolan in interviews has said what he wanted to do with this movie is create a subjective experience. He did not want this to be a conventional war film where you have like generals sitting around tables and pushing figures around on the map and saying like, well, if we move in this, we'll do the blah. And you know, he didn't want any of that. He wanted it to be from the soldier's perspective. So you have as much information or as little information as those characters have. And in order to do that, like you said, by land, by sea, by air, uh, and each one of those covers a different period of time. Now, I was actually extremely confused by this, uh, mm-hmm. when the movie started. Dylan right?
2: editing, man. Yeah, uh, it, it,
0: it,
1: it's an, uh, it's oddly edited. For I thought sure. the
0: editing was actually really weird. Like even the opening where they have the credits, not not the credits, the um, the explanatory text. And usually, yeah. when I when I see explanatory text, I expect to be able to read the whole text, and then you <laughs> cut to what's actually happening. This is like cutting to action in the movie. While the yeah. text is still appearing on screen, so I, just I mean, thought,
2: those words were even out of order. How do you even read that, right? Well, He's just making up sentences. It's crazy. I, <laughs> I, I,
0: I don't. I, I mean, I know you're making fun of me doing but I actually do think it was a little weird the way they cut that opening uh, opening text. That being said, the whole
1: movie is cut weird. The whole yeah, I, movie. Yeah, I, I cut think weird. the whole movie is cut
0: like the, the final thirty seconds of the movie. I thought was just really bizarrely cut. But uh, okay, so that, firstly, it says the mole, right? One week, which by the way. Uh, Super confusing if you don't know Please what... Please explain what the mole is. If you don't know is. what yeah. the mole is. Like, I, literally just a sentence would help. <laughs> like, would help the audience put it together. So it says, like, the mole is one week, and then, you know, the boat is one day, and then the plane is, like, one hour, I think, something like that. <coughs> uh, and mm. so that is not... I thought, okay, is it like one day, like one week from like a certain period of time? But no, it's just... Yeah, like, I thought we were counting down at, at a certain exactly, point of like, oh, yeah. thought, oh thought, shit, yeah. we're getting
1: closer. It's only an hour away now. It, the right, thing right. that's about to happen. Exactly what yeah. I thought,
0: Jeff. I thought it was something like, oh, it's, it's like T minus one week or something like that. Right. And uh, in fact, it's just denoting the amount of time that
1: that plot line lasts. Right? Right. And be couldn't, <laughs> couldn't be more obfuscated by the film itself. Right. It's such well, a nolan move. It just, it's, man. it's just like,
0: Dude, just give us a little bit more, like, literally <laughs> one sentence to explain what is going on would have helped. Uh, but they didn't do any of that. And actually, the, the, that text that I'm talking about appears so briefly. Like, if you, if you, like, look down uh-huh. to, like, you know, get, grab a handful of popcorn, you might miss it. That's how quick it is, right? It's just, it's so quick. And
1: it, and it doesn't matter how quick it is because it's not
0: helpful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So uh so i thought the the structure was just very confusing and i i spent most of my first viewing of the movie just trying to figure out what the hell is actually happening i think if i went to go see the movie again which i haven't done yet i'd probably mm-hmm. just understand it a lot more the plot lines intersect at various points you see characters in different time periods like you see one character in one plot line and then he shows up later in another plot line at a different point in time um, and so it's kind of interesting to explore the different characters, but I, I guess I would say on first viewing, it was a very disorienting experience that I, I did not appreciate in terms yeah, of the structure.
1: You don't, you yeah. don't get that's what's happening until, at least for me, I didn't, I should only speak for myself. Maybe people are smarter than me, but even with the, reading those three sentences and going, huh, <laughs> I didn't get that was what's happening until like three quarters of the way through the movie.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was like, "Oh," and you're sort of like recounting all this stuff that you've seen before now to go, "Uh, uh, oh, okay," but not in a good like Shyamalan way, right? It's, <laughs> more it's, of a like
0: it's not, like, oh, it's not even in long. a Christopher Nolan esque way where all the pieces <laughs> right. like lock in together at the end. It's just kind of Memento had a more interesting narrative, sure. you know, device. Sure. Right. Uh, it was and... very confusing. It was it was very confusing. It's... A lot of people in the chat room are actually agreeing that like feels unnecessarily confusing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I appreciated what he was trying to do. And I think overall, the film's attempt at placing you in the subjective point of view of these soldiers, I thought worked really, really well. I really mm-hmm. love this movie. Uh, I think it's my favorite Nolan film since The Dark Knight. I think it. Uh, one of the reasons it works really well, actually, is because Nolan is using the ca- – he said this in interviews, too. He's using the character's scenario, to, uh, like the circumstances they're in, to create empathy um, to create sympathy rather than dialogue, right? He's using action right. to create these emotions rather than dialogue. And I, I found Nolan's dialogue, like inter- Interstellar. I thought that some of the dialogue in that movie was pretty rough and uh, pretty expository. And in this movie, it seems like he's just like done away with all that and said, "Hey." Uh, forget about... Uh, the dialogue of this movie could be written on maybe three to five pages. I mean, there's just not I, that I much. think
2: the script itself is, what, 30 or something? Pages? Right. It's not a super long script either.
0: Compared to, you know, like 100 a or, or 150 pages uh, it technically it yeah. would. Uh, yeah. it, there's just not that many words spoken. Instead, all the actions speak. I mean, the, o- the opening sequence where these uh, two soldiers are trying to carry a uh, wounded soldier onto a boat, I just thought it was such an incredible bravura sequence. That, that's a sequence where the editing actually really worked for me. Uh, right. And where you're and you understand what they're trying exactly. to do. Exactly. No words spoken. It, yeah. it's, it's
1: beautiful, man. It's beautiful. And then, of course, even in success, it is a crushing – a soul-crushing <laughs> defeat because those – that wounded soldier then drowns in the goddamn sea yeah. in it's, a fiery – it's, yeah. it's like if the movie is – and and this is another aspect of it of it being something to survive. Like it is relentless in how uh, honest it is about how, how just how fucked these guys are, you know. And and uh, it doesn't allow you any sense of reprieve, even to the end. It's like, yeah, they got some of them out, but a hundred thousand of them are dead, and it's just like. <laughs> oh jesus god it's it's hard, it's hard, man.
0: yeah, it is it's, it's I, relentless, it's relentless. yeah is how it felt
1: you know
2: it's relentless. I think it's a little uplifting in the idea that you know, we champion war heroes, you know, we champion the pe- people who killed a lot of people. We champion the people who've been tortured and had to survive, you know, enemy prisons and stuff. and i uh, the idea that, hey, you lived through this thing and you made it back home, and that alone is kind of enough. to to celebrate. I think that's an interesting message for a war film. It does seem like kind of like an anti-war film in that way too. Um, Kind of a message we probably need more in
0: these times as well. I really like the message of the movie, which is that survival is its own. There is some nobility in survival, right? That survival is its own heroic act in some ways. And just remaining standing after all this, shit has gone down is Mm -hmm. uh something that's noteworthy and praiseworthy so i but at the same time yeah yeah, go ahead no yeah i I just saying i I actually really appreciate the message so yeah at the same time there are the big
2: moments of heroism in this movie too right tom hardy's pilot character who by the way we we i can't even remember the names from most of these people which i think is fine i guess you don't that's the thing you don't even need to know their names it's hard to even tell them apart sometimes because they're all like dark-haired british white dudes which makes sense. That, that's kind of what it was. But yeah, that, that alone is a big message. The whole Tom Hardy thing, um, probably some of the most beautiful imagery I've ever seen yeah. put to film. Like those those Spitfire planes just in the air, the dogfighting on the IMAX. And I got vertigo during some of those sequences. And there's a sequence where the plane is just kind of gliding through the air. <sighs> With nothing Squisty. running.
0: And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of teared up during it's, that. It's, it's, it's those... beautiful. There's nothing. I've never seen anything like that before mm-hmm. on screen.
2: So this movie um, conveys heroism in different ways as well. Like that's the traditional war movie way, but also Mark Rylance's character who is just like he, he's a citizen who takes it upon himself to do the right thing. And there's a bit of like British stiff upper lipness there too, right? Like that. that's we're going to do the thing because it's the thing we have to do. And it feels a little melodramatic at times, but it kind of works for me, at least in this movie.
1: So you guys hit on the two, the two times that, that hit me so hard that I teared up. Uh, one is seeing that plane fly mm-hmm. with that propeller still. It, it yep. just, just unbelievably beautiful. And the other is, um, when the two guys, they're sitting on the train and that guy comes up and offers them the beers oh, through the yeah. window. Yeah, It's such a beautiful sentiment. Um, and and uh, you know uh, the movie succeeds on on a, a lot of ways, and it, it it is not like any other movie you'll have ever seen. It is mm-hmm. it is wholly unique and powerful in its own way. But I also I, I do have issues with it. I don't think it is one hundred percent success. You know, well, so I think so that,
0: we are we are basically in spoilers now. So like uh, we, yeah.
1: we're we're going to spoil everything through the end of the
0: movie. Um, what are your biggest issues with the movie, Jeff?
1: I mean, I think I think it feels slight. Uh, in the, in the sense that it it is, it is just this, this slice of a moment and we don't ever feel any connection to it outside of being inside it ourselves. And I understand that's his entire intention, but I I felt disconnected in a way I felt, um, Mm -hmm. out of, out of place, you know, I didn't feel like I, and, and I felt disoriented and I, and I think those are again, all intentional, but it didn't leave me with a sense of um, understanding it. it. It felt like it's expressing the senselessness of war and it puts you in this place of being completely um, vulnerable. You know, these it's these guys who are dead. They are dead men walking, right? They are, mm-hmm. they are doomed. And uh, there is a, a slight respite from that doom. But for the most part, like, it is one tone throughout the whole movie, and it almost felt too hard to take for me at a certain. So, point. So
0: uh, the movie really worked for me, and I, I you know, I, I think what you're describing is exactly what the movie is trying to do, and I really appreciate. I agree, it. and I understand that it might not be for everyone, right? It's it's definitely its own thing. It's definitely something very specific, and it's not going to be for everyone. My fiance, you know, I've been I've seen dozens of movies with my fiance. She refused to see this movie because yeah. I think she she. Knew rightfully that she'd be too upset by it. Um, so, uh, totally understand your point of view, Jeff. It's not my point of view. I thought, you know, I really loved what he was trying to do. I did have two major problems with the film. Um, one of them is that the way the movie's edited overall, you know, there's some great moments of editing. Like I said, the the opening sequence of that stretcher, it, the editing and the, the way the tension mounts in that is just awesome. But overall, the editing just did not work for me, and I think um, I agree. One of the ways the editing didn't work is the the construct, right? The the structure of the movie feels so artificial. You're cutting between these three things that happen at three different times, yeah. And uh, you know, there are benefits that, like, so there, there'll be you know characters are drowning in one of the plot lines, and then cut to another character who's drowning in another plot line, and so you get the the thematic and visual carryover from one to the next. And, and you know, there's something kind of interesting that, but I, I I just could not shake the artificiality of the editing, in the sense that, like like you t- Jeff, you're talking about how immersive this is. The editing took me out of the situation, right? Because I, mean, I, agree, I, dude. I, I'm so, I agree, I'm so I'm so engrossed mm-hmm. in this situation. Oh my gosh, the the ship's about to tip over and and there's, it's filling up with water, and then cut to some completely other random thing that is happening at a different time. You know, <laughs> right. so many it's, times this movie had me. Like by the throat I, on the edge of my seat, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? Cut to something I don't give a crap about at that moment. you know i hundred so percent agree times, with so you many dude. times that happened in the movie that it really uh it it, it felt like a an unforced error, like a it felt
1: like, like- a- yeah, I, this is a, maybe a silly reference to bring up in this context, but you know, like at the end of Return of the Jedi, when we're we're on Endor, we're on the space station with Luke and Vader, and we're also in space with Lando. You know, <laughs> uh, that that thing where it's like, oh, as soon as it gets to a climax here, we cut away, and we're now we're seeing what what's going on over here, which sort of works in in Jedi, and exactly. I, I love it. But... It works
0: in Jedi because those things are theoretically happening at the same time, right? right. And yeah, and this
1: movie... one is so jarring because, like you said. Why are we cutting away to this? Right. Exactly. We're cutting away to something that happened before what we're watching, or it's very, very. uh, Yeah. It it doesn't help itself.
0: (laughs) What's also really weird is that the score, which overall I really like, you know, Hans Zimmer taking an interesting concept, in this case, a ticking, right? A ticking of like a, a watch. And expanding it into like a really brilliant musical score, uh, uh, really gorgeous references to Elgar's Nimrod as well, uh, towards the end of the movie. Uh, so I, I like the score overall, but the way the score functions makes it feel like. The entire movie is one scene, right? Like, the score doesn't yeah, have That's what I'm and talking flows, about. Right? Like, it, 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 usually, even on, like, a Star Wars Battle of Endor, uh, you know, you, you, cut from one scene to another. The music changes, right? It, ch- it feels like, oh, we're in a different situation now. The theme is different. The music's different, right? It's a different pace now. Um, that doesn't happen in this movie. It all feels like it's just one scene.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's right, what I'm talking about when I, fe- I said it feels yeah, like right. if the beginning of Saving Private Ryan was the whole movie.
0: Right. You it, know, and, 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 uh, and Uh, And in this case, it did not work for me. Like, I think the music was Mm -hmm. supposed to make you feel like, oh, it's all one continuum. And for me, because of how the editing worked with the music, it really took me out of it. So I did not like that. That's one big issue. And this isn't
2: the first time we've uh, kind of criticized Nolan's editing, too. I think he's always been trying to do new and different things with cinematic language. And we've noticed that really in Memento. But also The Dark Knight. Like, that's a movie that's chopped up in a way... That's very confusing about like, where where is Batman right now? Right. And how did he get over there? And what's going on? This is a movie that kind of brings it all, like even Inception, right? The idea of conveying action across different levels of dream state it seems like that idea was made just so he could create, you know, different sorts of editing action. This, I right, think, he's, he's works t- less that being successfully
0: said, He's taking, I mean, yeah, Divina, he's taking chances, mm-hmm. right? And that's good. Like Inception. Yeah, which I chances. appreciate. Uh, yeah. uh, and I thought in Inception, it really worked for me in Inception. I, I really love the way that movie's editing. We should say, by the way, Lee Smith is uh, Nolan's editor, has worked with him for many, many years. Uh, Lee Smith has also edited uh, a bunch of other really great films, including The Truman Show. Um, and so, very talented editor, uh, but I was not a fan of his work
1: in this movie. Um, well, so. uh, Dunkirk, I was asking the same question throughout uh, Devendra. Where is Batman right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, where, where, yeah, where is
2: Bane? What's he doing? Well,
1: he's, still, he's on that plane. <laughs> yeah. what, what, is he, what is his thing about putting Tom Hardy in a mask and making him un, unlistenable? A lot of people think Tom Hardy did a
0: great job emoting through that mask, and I would actually agree. No, but,
1: I yeah, thought, it's it's his eye. He he was the most unnecessary casting in this <laughs> entire it could have been literally anyone.
2: I I mean I, I suppose so. I but it's also like it's it's his eyes, there's a lot going on in his eyes. It felt like a recreation of his Mad Max thing too. Like what is it with Tom Hardy just being in
0: masks all the time? I don't know. Um it, I, I, he, I agree he, completely with DeVinger on this one. I think Tom Hardy was great in this movie. So I, I don't know what really? I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. I thought he's great. <laughs> no, um, but I, I could also I, see how it, like you, if you didn't notice that, like if the eyes
2: didn't work for you. I spent a lot of time looking into Tom Hardy's eyes, guys. So <laughs> don't get it, lost.
0: Uh, don't get yeah. lost there. Exactly. So uh, so I, I was saying like two things that bothered me about the movie. One of them is the editing. Second thing is. Uh, the ending, not, not the, not the very last shot. Well, the very last shot is bizarre, in my opinion. You have the, the burning plane, which is beautiful, then cut to Fionn Whitehead's head, uh, like, face for two seconds, and then <laughs> yeah. cut to credit. That's just weird. It's just weird editing. Uh, but the, the ending of the movie, I thought, uh, I don't, I'm not gonna say it almost ruined the movie, but I thought it was very <laughs> bad. Um, it's very bad. Yeah. It, it, because you got, uh, Tom Hardy gliding, and then somehow by gliding, he's able to—he's able to shoot down a plane, even though he's gliding. That's just—that's just dumb, guys. There's no way. It also would
2: wasn't uh, conveyed very well. Oh yeah, the, like, yeah I didn't that's quite understand, understand what happened. Work very well. Why?
1: Yeah. Why did he choose to die?
0: Um, we don't know if he
1: died, but he—he oh, he definitely he could have died. Left. No,
0: no, no. He, he was taken. He was taken prisoner at the end of the
1: movie. Yes, yes. right. To yeah, be where murdered. he will
0: likely die. Uh, yeah, but well, he, could he will have be left. Murdered.
2: But he, he heard the radio call for more help. Like, they needed more yeah, support.
0: He, he made a big decision to... But then,
1: to... But then he, he, after shooting down that plane, he clo- he opens his thing to mm-hmm. ostensibly, you know, eject. And then decides to close it again. And just glide around and land on the beach to his doom. I, I found that inexplicable. I, I didn't understand... Maybe it's because uh, I hadn't seen or known anything about this guy or what the hell he was doing for the whole movie. I don't know. I, I just found that all inexplicable. Like wh- wh- he chose to sort of just have this last joyride, and then I, I think he it's burns more the like, plane. He burns the plane right because he doesn't want it captured. But right, then he, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. But he'll let himself be captured? I don't understand. He's also more
2: useful if he even if the plane has no fuel and he can't really control it. He he could still do some things, and he's behind machine with you know machine guns so makes him more useful than just like a banning he's playing like it's pure heroism at complete self like uh, w- just like not counting the danger
1: to himself right? i just assumed we were going to see him ride that thing into oblivion right yeah but, but, the yeah. That he, but he lands the it,
2: landing <laughs> is astounding yeah it come is. on it is astounding. I yeah. want to get up and
1: cheer at that moment. But to yeah. what end? Why exactly?
0: Exactly. Brian Brian Davids in the chat room bring up a few points. You know, one one thing he could do is like leading the enemy away from allies. That's an that's an interesting possibility. Mm-hmm. But Brian Davids also says he ran out of fuel after he shot down the plane. That is just not true. Uh he clearly and, was uh, out of fuel before yeah. he before the plane was shot down. He was gliding before he got to Dunker. And it was like very that. confusingly Shown on, it was very confusingly shown and edited. I think what you really needed in that scene is a POV shot from Tom Hardy's plane shooting yep. down the other plane, but you couldn't yep. do that because it would make absolutely no sense. So I, I just thought <laughs> it would just, it was a very, for a movie that eschews a lot of, um, kind of Hollywood esque storytelling that, you know, is relentless, is punishing, like you said, Jeff. Uh, I felt like that ending was pretty odd. Uh, oh, and, of and also, um, the Mark Rylance moment, you know, when they're in the boat, I think for a lot of people, especially in the chat room, it seems for a lot of people, that moment really worked uh, where the, uh, Killian Murphy says, you know, is is the boy okay? And they're like, yeah, he's fine. Like, I think a lot of people find that really moving. I thought that was completely implausible. And, and just like, <laughs> I, I think, right, that what we're meant to understand is that it is, a, yeah. it is a moment of mercy. You understand that that Killian Murphy character has been through so much. And so you don't want to inflict any more suffering on him. So you, you lie about the fact that he killed a kid in the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And by
2: the way, that scene where he actually killed the kid, also confusingly edited. Yes, like
0: I, I, I agree. There's, it just felt like there's – it cut yeah. from one – the continuity of motion felt missing in that scene. Uh, cause you know, Killian Murphy, like he has, he's like struggling. And then the next thing you know, like the dude's like on the
1: ground,
2: yeah. it, it just he pushes so, the kid down the stairs, I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah this
1: somewhat. is why, this is why I cannot be full throated in my praise for this movie because mm-hmm. over and over and over again, I go, but, 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 and, and that is, and I, I caveat that by saying, I think this uh-huh. movie is tremendous and it is an experience that people should have, but I can't. I can't say it is this masterpiece because I think it is very flawed.
0: Yeah, for I mean, sure. It, it has some Although
2: go ahead, go ahead. it's interesting that we're talking about this movie and Valerian in the same episode, right? Because I think both are really ambitious films that try to do new things in cinema and both have their own issues. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, just the way they're both trying to tell new stories with primarily action and with very little mm-hmm. dialogue. Like as much as I criticize dialogue in Valerian, there isn't too much of it. Uh, that movie works for me like Attack of the Clones does. Like that is a beautiful picture to watch. Just turn off all the words and all the talking. <laughs> and I'll, I will rewatch that all the time. Um. So I, I guess in that sense, it's really interesting that we're reviewing both at the same time. Jeff, I'm just wondering, like you, it's, it did sound like you gave full-throated support to Valerian, though, despite like much
1: bigger glaring flaws, right? Well,
0: it's you an, liked Valerian more than Dunkirk, is that right, Jeff?
1: Well, I think it's apples and oranges, first of all, but uh, but I, I it's an easier movie to say, yeah, go see it. It's crazy right. fun. This movie right. is like you are going to endure something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so, uh, and I also think this movie is, you know, um, I think it's, it's much more a attempting to be a cinematic work of art, you know, where I think of uh, Valerian is, is kind of big, dumb fun. And sure. so it's easier for me to just go, uh, who cares about the dumb dialogue? I'm having too much fun. This movie is, you know, it's like, I can't, I, I think everyone should see Dunkirk. And I really Value the experience that I went through having seen it and I am blown away by the pure technical mastery that Nolan has of the of the medium, but I also don't feel like this is a masterpiece. I think it is. I think Mm -hmm. it is a weird, um, you know, it's a it's a strange work that I can admire and see the flaws in at the same time.
0: Mm. Uh, a lot of great comments in the chat room going on right now. Uh, Chase Horton says, "Guys, you totally see Killian Murphy knock the kid in the head before falling down the stairs. There's a sound effect and everything." I think you Chase, see him. Yeah, it's just very. I think, I think, very it's, I think it's technically yeah. true. It just is. It happens very very quickly for what is a critical moment in the film, and I thought it was very abrupt. And it sounds like Devendra, you agree with me on that one. Uh, uh-huh. So Chase, I'm sorry, Claire Chenoweth says that moment to me was on par with Hathaway's interstellar speech. So I think she's talking about the moment at the end with Rylance and his son and saying like, to Kelly Murphy, no, he's okay. Uh, and I think the speech she's alluding to in Interstellar is the one I'm going to perform for you guys right now, um, oh. where she says in Interstellar, I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends <laughs> dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it yet. All right, Cooper, yes, the tiniest possibility of seeing Wolf again excites me. That doesn't mean I'm wrong.
1: It's, it's amazing to me, Dave, that you committed all that to memory.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I mean...
1: <laughs> I'm very who, impressed. Who
0: wouldn't? Who wouldn't? <laughs> He's a master. Yeah. I do wonder if the
2: criticism around that line was the one thing that convinced Noah. was like, you know, maybe less dialogue maybe maybe fewer
0: words. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, and and I think I you know, it sounds like I'm slamming, slamming Nolan, but I think it really worked for him here. I think he mm-hmm. like having less dialogue, having less characters spouting off what they actually feel uh explicitly, I think it really made for a better film in in this case and uh and is one of the reasons I really like this movie. So, yeah. it's it, it's just it, a different it, film, I guess. Like for me like as I think about
2: my you know, all of Nolan's films, like Inception still feels like something that has more genuine ingenuity to it in terms of what it accomplished and, you know, just how much fun it was to watch. And Interstellar had so much heart. Like, we make fun of it. We make fun of that speech. But that movie gets me every time. And the way he he approaches big ideas in that is astounding. And, you know, he just did it differently here. If anything, I am glad that we have a filmmaker like him around who's always trying new things, bringing new ideas to, you know, pre-existing genres.
1: Yeah, nobody else makes this movie. Nobody. I mean, the only person that this movie evokes for me is Kubrick. You know, he, that's the level he's working mm-hmm. on, I think.
0: Brian David's bringing up the fact that Jonah Nolan wrote most of Interstellar and spent years doing so before Chris ever got involved. Uh, good yep. to know. Yep. Uh, although Claire says Chris basically did a page one rewrite, there's basically a big battle going on in the chat room right now about who wrote more of the terrible dialogue <laughs> in Interstellar. Uh, but overall, we can all guys, agree it's terrible. I, I think that uh this movie I, I think it is a masterpiece. Uh I think it's not only one of Nolan's greatest but one of the greatest war films of all time. And I uh I kind of want to ask you guys like where does it rank for you in Nolan's filmography? Um for me I would say probably top quartile, you know, probably one of the top uh <laughs> three you know, he's made what? 11 films, right? Um so it's probably one of the top like three or four for me. Uh, my favorite Nolan movie is still Memento, uh, but Jeff, any any thoughts on uh...
1: Uh, my favorite Nolan movie is still Memento as well, although very very closely followed by The Dark Knight, I guess. Um, I would say I would say this this does you know rank fairly high in in his oeuvre, but um, f- as far as favorites of mine, I, I mean I think what he accomplishes in this movie is is impressive but i i favorites i would rather rewatch interstellar or inception uh, i think probably for me it goes memento dark knight inception or yeah and then batman begins uh, maybe this and then interstellar or interstellar and this mm. and then the prestige
0: so it's like kind of right in the middle for you yeah and also i'm really pissed that you ranked prestige that low but
1: uh i love the prestige it's very good it's you're right i probably should have ranked it higher i don't know you
0: put me on the spot dave davindra uh yeah what's your favorite nolan film at this point is it still the dark knight
2: i you know it's kind of hard to say because interstellar really hit me in a great way but i think as a film that mostly
0: that i think has done amazing things is probably the dark knight
2: uh then inception uh, okay, so, so, so yeah. none of us I've, would
0: none of us would rank Dunkirk as the our favorite Nolan. No, film. I don't think so. I saw uh, Bilge Ibiri from Village Voice. He ranked all of Nolan's films. He put um, he put Dunkirk as number one, which I thought was uh, impressive. Uh, yeah, impressive. Yeah. Uh, but he put Nemento at, at number six, so the whole list is, is basically invalid. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's crazy talk. Those are our thoughts on Dunkirk. It's a movie you should see, in my opinion. And you, Jeff, even you, I think, would still say like. This is I have a, said a, a over a little cinematic experience
1: uh, I have said over and over and I, I hope my my criticisms are are taken uh, with the knowledge that i I think this movie is an astounding mm-hmm. achievement it just uh it just felt slight to me in a lot of ways and it and, and the odd editing bits and the sort of uh the thin layer of of story it, it just it just wasn't as meaty a, a film as I was hoping it would be.
2: Yeah. I have to say, if you have the option, do the IMAX thing. Like you will, oh, you sure. will regret it in your life. You will regret it because you cannot recreate this experience at home. I have a big projector set up at home and like it, IMAX is still very, very different. Like the, yeah. how big are those screens? Like 60 to 80 feet tall, depending yeah. on where you go. Like the opening shot of this movie, which is just paper falling from the sky. Looks astounding. Like everything about it, those Spitfire dogfights in the air, you've never seen anything like it. So if you have the privilege, take advantage of that. I'm X Green. Yep, yeah,
0: indeed, indeed. All right, find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Um, and we didn't use our sp- uh, spoiler bumper this week, but it usually comes from filmmaker Kyle Hellinger. Stay tuned to your OB Viewing next week. In the meantime, Devendra, I work we find more of your work on the internet. Oh, you can find me on Twitter,
2: at Davindra, and uh, check out my work on Gadget.com. I have interviews. I have an interview with Luke up and a piece about Dunkirk as well.
0: All right, Jeff Kanata, how about you?
1: Uh, I have several shows for you to check out if you like video games. I have a daily video game show called Newest, Latest, Best. It's on iTunes and Google Play Music. Um, lots of uh, fun exclusives, including a uh, interview I did this week with uh, the game director on the new Uncharted game, The Lost Legacy. And uh, I have a weekly video game show called DLC that you can find at 5 dot TV slash DLC and a comedy science show that's called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com.
0: And find all my stuff at DaveChen.me. I'm also hosting a Game of Thrones podcast at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Next week, guys, we're going to be talking about Atomic Blonde, a new film, uh, Charlie Theron, directed by David Litch. Uh, I, this is one of the most anticipated films of summer. Can't wait to talk about it with you guys. So stay tuned uh, to hear what we have to say about that. Thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of slashfilm.com.